गोरी वैष्णव गुरु परंपरा की जय और भक्तवृंद की जय अभिनस स्वामी की जय और प्रेम आनंदे वेल इट्स वेरी काइंड फॉर यू टू इनवाइट मी हियर टू योर होम एंड आई एम ऑनर्ड टू sit with you and I will try to uh, speak in a way that everyone will derive some benefit some point that they can apply in their lives to improve them i think there are two levels or two approaches to improving our life that um should work together one is what i would call kind of a horizontal development of our life another is a vertical development of our life so we need some type of material foundation hmm? that is the vertical or the horizontal excuse me where in our material lives work for us on some level although they will fail ultimately that is the teaching of course as krishna says in the gita in two words he's very beautifully um i say beautifully but in a profound sense summed up the nature of material existence dukkalayam ashashvatam it's very much said in two words dukkalayam duk of course means suffering so it is the place of suffering if arjun as if arjun i'm citing the gita which i'm sure you're familiar with were to protest in his mind for a moment at the description of the word the world um by one word dukkalayam the place of suffering by way of thinking but i like it certainly there are things we like about our life if i was to say to you the world is all about suffering you think well hang on i'm kind of happy with my wife and my family and i like my job and and uh there may be other likable things about the world so as i say as if arjun were to bring that question in his mind krishna follows the one word description with another word ashashvatam which means that even if you like it then it's more problematic because ashashvatam means it you cannot keep it you follow me it's temporary <laughs> if you like something the more you like it if you're also informed that you cannot keep it it becomes the very thing that you like becomes a source a cause of your own suffering hmm? Krishna said it otherwise in another way in the Gita also when he said duka yonaye bate the yoni the womb hmm, from which suffering is born hmm, is attachment attachment to things that are 
as we say in common English parlance, here today and gone tomorrow. These are such simple points. They're not deep philosophical points in one sense. They're deep in terms of their implications, but they're not deep and heady in a sense and difficult to wrap your head around in terms of an, of an intellectual and theoretical understanding. Indian philosophy, in some respects, Vedanta, is very simple. Simple and, um, from the Vedantic perspective, profound uh, truths that are not really book knowledge, but are based on the experience of rishis. Hmm? They reason based on their experience. And so there are some very, uh, very simple truths that I would um, venture to say that many of which we could state them in, in, in any particular language and they would be, like I said, it's common English parlance. I'm sure there's a, there's a phrase for it in Hindi. There must be a phrase for it in, in, in Bangla and in, 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 in German and in French. Here today and gone tomorrow. It's uh, everybody knows it, in a sense already. So it's not something that we don't have experience of. That the Vedanta, at its core, is speaking about. It's the very things that we experience every day, and we know, we intuit, we know, we experience, but the implications of which. We're distracted from applying ourselves um, in, re- in terms of or in relation to. If we were to apply ourselves to those simple truths, our life would change dramatically, and arguably, from the Vedanta perspective, for the better. Here today and gone tomorrow. Now, from a from a point of view of Gyan, Gyan is one of the disciplines, of course, mentioned in the Gita and Bhakti is the other. I come from a bhakti tradition and I think that the Gita really speaks of jnana in a way for the purpose, I would say, as a path, a path of knowledge, as a way of speaking indirectly about the virtues of the path of devotion, of love. It speaks directly about bhakti, about love, and it speaks about the path of Gyan, I want to say, for the purpose of indirectly shedding light on the virtues of bhakti. Hmm. Different schools of Vedanta might differ with me on that, but it's uh, also some very common sense reasoning that uh, causes me to, to think in that way. Um, let me give you an example. If I asked, what is your name? Hmm? Prashant. Prashant. Nice to meet you. Prashant, if I asked you, what do you think is better? Loving to exist or existing to love? It's not a hard question, right? <laughs> It's a very easy question. 
It's a common sense answer. It's almost like not like worth asking the question. This is the difference between jnana and bhakti as a path and a goal. The goal of jnana, mukti, nirvishesh brahma. Nirvishesh means nir. Vishesh means quality, differentiation, variety, which again we say in English is what? Who knows it? The spice of life. Maybe there's a Hindi word for it, a term for the. Uh, <laughs> forgive me, that's not my mother tongue. So, uh, uh, so variety is the spice of life, and and obviously for loving, nirvishesh, hmm? there's no love. It, we may it may be, and a type of experience where we're loving to exist because in mukti existence is enduring not like our sense of existence in this world which like everything else because our existence is identified with things it is also illusory or here today and gone tomorrow the Vedanta says we are here today We'll be here tomorrow. But what, is, what are we? What is the I? Hmm? When we think, I am an Indian, or I am American, hmm? or I am a male, or I am a female, I am this, or I am that. Hmm? The Upanishad teaches, if we want to know what I am, we should say, neti, neti. Neti, neti. Not this, and not that. <laughs> This and that all refers to things. America, hmm? India, a place, um, my attachments to the, 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 the values that I as a unit of consciousness posit on matter and make meaning. I make matter matter. Hmm? I do that. We do that. Consciousness does that. Hmm? Without consciousness, matter wouldn't matter. Do you follow me? If matter was to matter, independently of consciousness, who would know about it? Who would care? Do you understand? Consciousness is the carer, the matterer, the feeler, the thinker, a unit of value. And we, and we identify with matter, we posit value in matter. Hmm? And then we identify with matter, and that's the problem. Hmm. Because all things, if you will, composed of matter as they are, as I've said, are here today and gone tomorrow. So, so the identity that I am this or I am that, that is not enduring. I mean, these are basic things. You know these things. You've thought of these things. Uh, uh, so the American public has learned it to some extent from India. <laughs> these kind of ideas, Vedanta, and some of you are born in India, you're born with these ideas, thoughts. Hmm? They're very, um, in a way, human common sense, strong common sense ideas. Some common sense ideas are weak. They can be disproven. Hmm? But strong common sense ideas are those ideas that you, you, by doing away with them it is self-contradictory. 
if I deny the primacy of consciousness. It's like saying, I am dead. That has no meaning. Do you understand? If I say, I am dead, is that reasonable? Obviously not. Hmm? So to deny consciousness, for example, as being enduring, You can't, you can't really do it in a, logically because consciousness is, is, has to make this statement, has to engage in the denial. It's just foundational, do you understand? It takes consciousness to deny something. So to deny consciousness is, is, is like saying, I, I'm dead, it, makes, it has no meaning. Hmm. There's a word for it in Western philosophy. What is that? Pre... Um, Preformative, it's a preformative contradiction. So this kind of hard common sense ideas, they're not going to change over time. They're human, universally intuited uh, by, by, by in, in human society amongst human beings. And there's some, as I said, there's some logic to support it. And there's no conclusive empirical evidence to prove otherwise. People that look for that, materialistic society, naturalism, physicalism, looks for the proof that we don't exist, which is rather a folly. <laughs> you understand? To say that there's no self that's enduring, hmm? that, the, that, the, that, the, that the consciousness is just the brain. Hmm? To say that consciousness, that the Vedanta says, is ontologically different from matter. Hmm? to say that it is just the brain, because we can't measure it. In the scientific community, we're fond of measuring things and then acknowledging their existence. If there's a force, but we cannot measure it, then we tend to think it doesn't exist. There's gravitational force. It's an interesting point, of course. Gravitational force when gravitational force was first understood by Newton, do you know what the people, his contemporaries of the time, thought about him? They thought he was moving back towards the occult and paganism in which invisible forces, fairies and uh, witches and, and so forth were posited. And with the science, development of science, modern science and the controlled experiment and so forth, humanity was thought to be moving away from such superstition. Hmm? And the Christian church licensed the science to prove that the glory of the Christian God, it was thought. Hmm? Of course, it turned out against them. <laughs> In due course, uh, science has become one of the biggest enemies of, of Christianity. Hmm? But my point with regard to Newton is that he discovered that what? That larger masses attract smaller masses. Hmm? That's gravity. Hmm? But you could so we accept that gravity exists, but that doesn't that doesn't really explain it. You understand? 
it's something that happens, but why it happens. So when he started, because it was thought, this is the mechanistic worldview, of course. It was thought that motion, for there to be motion, there had to be contact. The mechanistic world was, we thought we had it all figured out. This is long before any of us here were living, but humans thought they had it all figured out in Western society. The world was like a machine, and we could figure out all the parts and how it worked. With regard to motion, contact was required. For, for, for this hand to move, there had to be contact. For, for, for me to move the the cartels, there has to be contact. So now he's talking about, Newton's talking about movement without contact. To the, to the contemporaries of the time, he thought, you're becoming an occultist again, positing forces that are invisible. But the discovery of Newton was undeniable, nonetheless. So what's happened, we still don't understand it, but what's happened over time in science has just been subsumed. Okay, okay we'll, we'll just not think about that and we'll just go on. Hmm? And so nobody thinks about it. But, hmm? but it's an interesting point uh, to raise hmm? with regard to uh, our contemporary world's necessity, perceived necessity, to validate by measurement, if you will, by objective proof. Hmm? If we can't objectively, with third-party verification, hmm, demonstrate it, we shouldn't believe in it. This is the way a lot of people think, consciously or unconsciously. Some people consciously think that way, and in an in intellectual society and in, in scientific community, and they write about it and reason it filters down to the common people, and we kind of think like that without thinking about it. But we should stop to think for a moment that our very existence, the fact that we exist, your experience that you exist, as Prashant, for example, my friend, my new friend, we're all friends here, but I don't know everybody's name yet. We'll get to that, hopefully. But your existence is a private affair. Your wife can get into it to some extent. Hmm? Your children can get into it to some extent, those who are closest to you. But there are areas of it that are just private to you. There's your experience that of the same thing that your wife experiences slightly differently. Hmm? Right? This is totally private, totally subjective. Our sense of existence is subjective and it cannot be verified objectively. But do we wait to get up in the morning because of that? Because we haven't proved that we exist? You see, you can never prove that you exist. Hmm? Like you can prove mathematically that one and one is two, hmm? for example. Or empirically you can demonstrate hmm, uh, that touching fire will, will burn you. You cannot prove that you exist. But we don't wait in the morning to wake up and, and live our life as if we do. 
waiting for such verification. It will never come. So there's something to be said for first-person experience. We think first-person experience, subjective experience, well, he just feels like that. We can't accept that. It's just a feeling somebody has. You want evidence of it, something like that. To some extent, that's valuable. Hmm? That's true. But some things will never be proved. One of them is that we exist, and we shouldn't wait for that, and we don't in our practical, everyday life. Hmm? Hmm? So, the necessity, as it's thought, to measure and prove and validate things before we move forward is not how we actually live our lives. The fact that we cannot measure consciousness hmm, derives from the fact that consciousness, the Atma, is the measurer. Do you follow me? I'll explain it to you in two ways. How can a ruler measure itself? And in what sense do I mean that consciousness is the measurer? I alluded it to, to it earlier when I said that consciousness posits value and meaning. What is the meaning of this assembly of of some material here, so maybe not fake leather and uh, and so it's this chair because because it's a human concept, right? That's coming from consciousness. It's a chair. I've given it meaning. Hmm? America. It's a concept, isn't it? It's coming. It's a subjective concept. We objectify it. We give it. We, we say it's like this and like that and so forth. But the meaning, the value, the shape, the form of matter—it's all coming from consciousness. Consciousness is the measure. It's it's what posits meaning. It's a unit of value. And matter, as I said earlier, has no matter, has no value. It doesn't matter unless we matter about it. We're the matterers. Hmm? So, so no wonder it's not measurable. Hmm? We, it, to measure it means to objectify it. How can we objectify the subjective component of existence, which is arguably the more important element? We have the objective material world, material matter, things, and then we have our self, which is not a thing. It's said... In English, the best things in life are not things. We are not a thing. We are the best thing in life. We are consciousness. We are not matter. It means to say we are not this and we are not that. And when we think I am this or I am that, we set ourselves up for suffering. We set ourselves up for the pursuit of enduring happiness in relation to things that don't endure. Hmm? Now, from the perspective of Gyan, the Gyan Marg, how will we deal with this problem? This is Gyan from the point of view of Vedanta. Krishna is given in the Gita, Dukalaya Mashashvatam. The world is temporary, and if you like it, well, it's, that's even worse because the world is about suffering. 
If you like it, that's even worse because you can't keep it. Suffering is born from the womb of attachment to things. I mean, this is just, just try it. You just think about it. Think about where your suffering is. Because you don't have this or you don't have that or you got this and it's not doing what you thought it was. And, and It's very simple. The Buddha said it also. Hmm? Right? The problem, world is about suffering. The cause of the suffering is thirst for things. It's a such basic truth. So now, it's a basic truth, but it's a bit harsh, isn't it? Because even though I can agree with you, or you may agree with me, that the world is full of suffering, attachment is the cause of the suffering, hmm? Even if I like a thing, I can't keep it. So that's going to, in the long term, that's going to make it worse. Um, it's a rather harsh truth. What do I do with that? Well, in the Gyanmarg, we're told, deal with it. Hmm? Just deal with it. <laughs> it's not a very user-friendly kind of a path. Therefore, to tread the Gyanmarg, to tread Yogmarg, I mean, these two are different in, as given in the Gita. And there are different kinds of yoga, of course, but Ashtanga Yoga, Dhyana Yoga in the sixth chapter of Gita, hmm? and Jnana Yoga given in the Bhagavad These are different disciplines, slightly different. They are paths to transcendence. They are ego-effacing. They are going to, dis- to, to dissect and dissolve my identification with this or that, leaving myself as a unit of consciousness. Hmm? But to tread these paths, according to the Yoga Sutra, Patanjali, according to the Gita, sixth chapter, with regard to yoga, and the whole, same holds true for Gyan, there's a prerequisite, a number of prerequisites. If you're going to meditate, you have to have a clean heart. Because if you have clean heart, an unclean heart means I have attachments. If I have attachments, I can't sit. My mind will be preoccupied with the attachments in my heart, and I'll have to do those things, right? So I can think it's a good idea to meditate. I'll sit. We try it, but it's not so not so easy. Hmm? Therefore, the Gita says one shouldn't sit. Hmm? until one walks properly. Hmm? The beginning of the sixth chapter on Dhyan says that one should walk properly in order to sit properly. How do you walk properly? It means you, 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 you live in the world without attachment to the results of what you do. It's also not very easy. point is here, to tread the Gyanmarg and the Yogamarg, one has to be detached. One has to be celibate. So our family situation is out, out of the picture. Stated it in, I'm not making it up, according to the text. Huh? Brahmacharjam, hmm? I think you know the meaning. <coughs> Brahmacharjam, this is a, among the yamas and niyamas of, of yoga sutra. This is one of them. Hmm? Abstinence means no family life. Hmm? And then, how can you have a family if you're sitting not too high, not too low, <laughs> focusing on the tip of your nose? I mean, that's not a way to. 
have much of a family life. You can't provide for them and, and so forth. Hmm? Not a user-friendly path. And Gyanmarg, the same is required. Brahmacharjam. So to, really to tread the mark, there are some very high qualifications that first one has to somehow attain. Hmm? So, and for example, if I'm to say to you, okay, the world is temporary, attachment to things is a cause of misery, and, 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 and because in the least, all things are, are temporary, here today and gone tomorrow. So now, go home and, and give up all your attachments by thinking about it, contemplating these truths. Contemplate it and, and give it up. That is, as I said, it's a difficult order. Hmm? It's not very user-friendly. That's one side. Now, what will be the result if you do that? Let's say you could do that. What will you, what will you arrive at by such? Hmm? You will have removed all your identification with things that are temporary, hmm? and all of your suffering will end. So what will you now you're in a type of existence, we are, that is full of problems. Hmm? It's full of problems. We deny them to some extent or another, and we carry on and so forth, but it's really full of problems. How happy are you? Is you, you know, is, you, is your hair standing on end and crying out of happiness? How happy do you want to be? How happy would you like to be? I mean, it's a silly question, right? There's no limit to how how happy how happy are we? You know, well, we're far from from unlimited happiness, anandam. Hmm? That has no limit. Hmm? So we're far from what we want in life. Hmm? You know, it's said that sometimes people get thrown in jail, they become incarcerated for criminal acts. Hmm? But then they don't want to leave after a long time. Because they found a little corner there and it works for them. They get a cigarette every now and then or something like that. So people tend to find, eke out and find some happiness in any situation. Happiness seeking we are. We become attached to that little bit of happiness. But in reality, we pursue happiness that knows no bounds. Brahmabhuta prasannatma nasochati nakankshati No hankering, no lamentation. Prasannatma prasannatma This kind of happiness. Oh. So we're not anywhere near that. That's why our existence, based on thinking I am this or I am that, is problematic. Hmm? It's not enduring. But we are a unit of enduring existence. We are a unit of consciousness, not matter. We are the observer of the ever-changing material phenomena. Seasons come, the seasons go. Now we enter into Hemant, Agrahayana, Margashirsha, the ancient word for this. We've left the Damodar, Kartik month, Radha's month. We enter into Krishna's month. Krishna in the Gita says, of months, I am this Margashirsha, the beginning, Agra, Ayana. The beginning, Agra, Ayana, means the equinox, the, the, it means movement, it means the, the solstice, the winter solstice. This is Uttarayana. Hmm? Uttarayana. And the gods are waking. Hmm? Margashirsha, this constellation is said, uh, under this constellation, one has a religious disposition, hmm? a tendency toward 
puja, worship, and so forth. No wonder Krishna said of months, and the Margashirsha. Of course, he said of seasons, then I'm spring. Hmm, it makes sense. <laughs> it's a beautiful idea of God. Hmm? A beautiful idea. Now we enter into that month. Hmm? Point I'm making only, as an aside, I mentioned this, but the point I'm making is seasons are changing. Things are moving around us. This is what the Rishis realized. The whole world is moving round and round. Is it heliocentric? Is it geocentric? Right? In Europe, we used to think it was geocentric. You follow me? Now we think it is heliocentric. Hmm? You could look at it in either way, really, in one sense. But the heliocentric makes some more sense. Hmm? But the Rishis, they thought the world is atmocentric. Hmm? The world is moving around consciousness that I am a unit of. And I'm enduring, and it is changing around me. Hmm? Constantly. This was their idea. Atmocentric world. Hmm? And paramatma centric. Hmm? And this is the point I'm coming to. Hmm? There's atma and there's paramatma. If by jnana we somehow just turn ourselves off to all of our attachments because it's true by force of intellect, hmm? for example, in contemplating these ideas, ahambramasmi, tattvamasi, and so forth, we somehow arrive at the realization and the experience that I am an enduring unit of consciousness. You see, if consciousness is not reducible to matter, if consciousness is not brain, hmm? The implications of that, among other things, are that it's not confined by time and space, like all material manifestations are. Hmm? That means it was always existing, and it will always exist. Hmm? Biological life, that's one thing. That will come, that will go. But the Gita says life is not biological. Life enters into a biological circle, cycle. Hmm? But it itself is not biological. That's why you cannot find it. You cannot find consciousness in the brain. We find things that consciousness, we find that on the brain there are things that light up when we perceive this or that or feel this or think that and so forth. Hmm? But why there is any experience that we can't understand. Why is their experience red? Blue. And who's the experiencer? The bigger question. Hmm? Because we can't measure him or her. We think it must not exist. We'll keep looking in the brain for that some neuron that when you press it, it goes, I experience. From the point of view of Vedanta, we think this is a, is a very foolish and a costly venture. Hmm? Costs a lot to get funds to make experiments for, to, for, for studying the brain, looking for, for, to prove that consciousness is matter, is brain. Hmm? You know what that's like saying? I'll give you an example. I've given this example before. Let us say you play cricket 
You ever play cricket as a boy? Okay. So there's a ball, right? Okay. And then you, you, I don't know how to play cricket, but I've seen a little bit, you know. We've got baseball over here. So you know, you, there's a net, I guess, kind of like, and you catch it and you throw it, right? So, so okay, so let's say the ball guy throws the ball, one, the pitcher, they call him the pitcher? What do they call him in Hindi? The bowler. the bowler? So he throws. The baller throws. Now that ball is being thrown. Do you ever think it says, ouch? Or do you ever think we might say, ow, that hurt? Do you ever think that's going to happen? I mean, that's kind of silly, isn't it? For that ball to say, ouch, or could you throw me a little little softer? Hmm? The ball is never going to say that, right? I mean, it's silly. You might think I'm silly to even ask this. But what is that ball made out of? Hmm? Your brain cells are made out of the exact same thing that that ball is made out of. You realize that? Do you think there's any way we could squeeze that ball to get it to say, ouch? We don't. Hmm? Brain is just the same basic non-experiential ingredients. They're non-experiential. Matter is non-experiential. Consciousness is experiential. How different is that? That's like worlds apart. You follow me? Worlds apart. How different we are from matter. Hmm? That's why we feel constrained when we identify with matter, with the limits of I'm Indian or I'm American or I'm whatever, I think. We feel there's some limitations. We could be more because we are more. We're much more than any identification with matter. We're what makes matter matter, as I said earlier. Hmm? So now, if we could realize this point, what would we come to? We would come to an enduring existence that would be pretty neat. We would know we would exist forever, right? We're not constrained by time and space. And if we were end all, all, all suffering, hmm? all suffering, well, I mean, by that, all anxiety, like even social anxiety, like now you've got to come to somebody's house and it's going to be social and what's it going to be like and what are people going to think and, you know, these thoughts go through people's heads and worry what, my, what impression I'll make on people or all the, it's all just anxiety. It's all our material identification. It's all just, we're just constantly, our existence is pervaded by some type of anxiousness and every now and then we get a little relief from that. Hmm? What if we could just end that forever, forever? And you know, I exist, and you experience it. I exist without beginning, without end. I am. I'm not this, and I'm not that. And thinking I was, that was the problem. Hmm? Now I know I am. And I, what would you be doing? You would be loving to exist, compared to right now, how you exist. You kind of like it. It's good. It could get better if I could get a better job. <laughs> Maybe... A, have another child or uh, whatever, add something on a little more. We, we are in pervertimarg, you know, we are in pursuit of, ac by, by acquisition we think our life will be improved. Hmm? It's by letting go hmm. of the acquiring of things that we think by acquiring them are ours, but time proves to us 
They don't belong to us. Hmm? And the identity that forms from that sense of ownership, that I that comes from our sense of my, is as illusory as our sense of my. Does anything belong to you? Really, I mean, absolutely speaking. Hmm? No. So if your I is based on an identification with thinking that something belongs to you, like you act, this is my house, this is my children, my husband, I mean, that's pretty close. We really think, at least I got my family. <laughs> but we really, really we don't. Hmm? Right? So the I that's formed out of that, that's as illusory as the my. Hmm? This is very harsh. It's pretty in one sense, but it's harsh to, you know, to, like, what are the implications of that? Hmm, they're, they're staggering. But if we could arrive at those, realize that, all the anxieties that go with a life of material identification in which we're driven to think, if I just get a little more, it'll be perfect. There's a perennial, uh, to use an English term, Perennial carrot. You know the carrot? <laughs> Perennial carrot. Just get the carrot and that's how you, you know, to, to get the, the ass to move, you wave the little grass in front and he keeps moving. He doesn't know it's available for free on the road, on the side of the road. But you wave it and he carries a heavy load and takes it. So material life is, is like this. It, it, it propositions us continually. We turn on matter because matter doesn't matter except to us. We turn it on. But once we turn it on, it's like the viewer turns on the television, right? It has no meaning unless you turn it on. Once it turns, once it you turn it on, it could take over your life. Problem, right? If you're kids, you should be careful. They turn on the computer. Next thing you know, they'd be addicted to computer games. They're living in the computer. Computer takes over their life, but but they have to turn it on, right? So they so we turn on the world, we make it matter, but then we identify with it, the show, and we lose sight of ourselves. It's problematic, and this then this show is just get a little more, just a little bit more. Like you know, our hosts have invited us here. Certainly they will serve some some prashad. Hmm, right. So we come for dinner. What, what if you? What if you? What if they, they just give you appetizers? You see, here you take as an appetizer. Appetizers are rich, but they—they're not a complete meal. Hmm? So we keep giving appetizer. When is the meal coming? Here, take appetizer. There's a meal. The appetizer tells you there's a meal coming. What if the meal never comes? What will you get? You get indigestion. Only for meeting appetizers. Do you understand? Amartyal condition is one of indigestion, that's all. We're constantly being appetized by material nature with the proposition that she is acquirable hmm? when indeed she's not. Hmm? Even the things that we acquire, we don't acquire them. They're not really ours, it's an illusion. For that matter, we cannot even touch matter. Hmm? As Heisenberg said, long time ago. We only know our own experience of matter. What matter is, we don't know. 
We know our experience of matter. Bertrand Russell, famous American atheist in the 1920s, wrote a book, I forget the title, but the book was about the study of matter. Hmm? The nature of matter, I think that was the name of it. What did he conclude in that book? He concluded all we really know is our own consciousness. Sounds like Vedanta, something like that. All we really know. Now in Gita, of course, in Upanishads, in Bhagavad, these ideas are developed. Hmm? It doesn't. It's, there's no argument there. there you know, if you look at the Indian, Indian texts, the sacred texts of India, there's not really much argument whether God exists or not. It's just, it's just not an issue. Hmm? You know, in Christianity, we have the idea that there's a, there's a soul, and then some people say we don't believe that a soul exists. Right? It's not an issue for us in Vedanta. It's like saying, "Do you believe that consciousness exists?" That's a silly question. Of course, I mean, how could you even say that without consciousness? You understand? You understand what I'm saying? It's not a question of do you believe in the soul. It's like saying, "Do you believe in consciousness?" And then the Gita goes in, what is consciousness? Let's analyze it. Is it reducible to matter? No. You see, according to the Gita, in Christian outlook about the soul is a Rajasic idea. Soul is mixed up with body somehow. They bury the body and then they think it's going to go up someday and, and reunite and so forth. Sattvic conception hmm, of consciousness makes it distinguish, distinguishes between atma, consciousness, and matter, between the biological cycle hmm, and consciousness itself. It turns it on. Hmm? The biological cycle is like the television that the viewer turns on, something like that. Hmm? And identifying with it is problematic for us. It's problematic. Hmm? So, it's interesting, huh? So, so if we were to end that problem, now we have an existence that we're trying to love, but it's not quite lovable, so we're trying to add a little something to it. You understand me? We're trying to get a little bit more, like a little better income, you know, a little better car, a little better, you know, that I can visit home, fly to Bart, more often and visit my relatives there or bring them here. If I could only bring the rest of my family here, get them visas, then everything would be, be better. But you left there. <laughs> so we're all trying to... This is material existence. Hmm? Just add a little bit something more. It's not about adding anything more. It's about what you really are hmm? that we should be concerned with. And uncluttering yourself from all these additions apparent additions, because we don't really get them. We don't really add them. Hmm? It's illusory. So if we could end all that hmm? through Gyan, where would we arrive at? We would arrive at an existence that was lovable. We're trying to love this existence, but it's, it's not quite right, so we're trying to tweak it, fix it, right? But if we could arrive at an existence that wasn't based on identifying with things that are here today and gone tomorrow and problematic in the ways I've explained, 
we could arrive at an existence that we would love. We would love to exist. Hmm? We would love to exist. We would be so... The happiness of being free from the anxiety that pervades our life is, is immeasurable. Hmm? In comparison to any amount of happiness we could get by, th by adding something onto our life or thinking that we do something. Hmm? Because that thing is matter. We are consciousness. It really has nothing to do with us. It's really categorically different from us. It's in substance, it's ontologically different. How will you mix non-experiential reality with experiential reality? They don't mix, do you understand? They're different. The subjective and the objective realms, they don't mix. Hmm? It's like oil on water. Looks like they're mixing, but if you look carefully, you can, you can take the ghee off the top. Hmm? If they spill oil in the ocean, what do they, what do, they do? They go and they try to take it off the top. Hmm? They get as much as they can. Hmm? So you're like oil on the water. Hmm? And as the water is moving like waves and we're going up and down, up and down. Hmm? So to end that is really so huge. If you knew, if we knew the extent to which we existed, it would be the end of all fear, all anxiety. Hmm? And that anxiety is all pervading. Fear pervades human existence more, it's more pervasive than the sexual drive, which is pretty pervasive. It's how we all got here. Hmm? It's how we think we extend ourselves. We think, I'll have a son, for example, and I'll live on in some way. This is only the self trying to experience itself. That whole thought, hmm? I'll have a son. And I'll, I couldn't, I, I know so many things now that I would have done. I'll do all those things for my son. He will have the, and I will live on implicitly without maybe consciously thinking, I will live on as him. He's me, my extension. I will live on as he, and he will have the perfect, happy, loving existence. And in my old age, he'll make mine a little bit better too. <laughs> I think for my exit strategy, I need to, at least an eldest son who will obey me, something like this. this is a common thinking, not, not only of Indian culture, but of, even in Western culture in times gone by. Hmm? <laughs> so, this is, this is just the Atma trying to experience what it is without looking in, in the direction of itself, looking into the objective world, looking into matter, and having identified with the thing that turned on and made matter and so forth. So, I'm going over this again because these points are worth repeating from different angles hmm, to underscore the, the, the significance of them. I'm doing that to arrive at this one point, which is, if we could end all of that, hmm, we would have an existence that was really lovable, comparatively. So I asked you the question, Prasant, what is better, to love to exist or to exist to love? But you said, to exist to love is better than to love to exist. Therefore, I say bhakti is better than jnana. Because that's what bhakti is about. 
Bhakti about is bhakti is about existing to love, and it includes whatever is lovable about existing in an enduring way. Now we are existing in a non-enduring way by identifying with the biological self. Hmm? We can move away from that by gyan, but it's difficult, or by yoga, but it's difficult. And there are prerequisites to tread those paths, as I mentioned. But bhakti marg, I want to say two things about it. There are no prerequisites for bhakti marg. To tread the path, all you need is the faith in it. I'm trying to create that. Some of you already have to some extent, but I'm not trying to underscore that. With knowledge that is, that is, that is within bhakti, bhakti is not just some sentimental idea, hmm? but it is a wise love. Hmm? Everything I've said so far is included in bhakti marg. Hmm? The fact that you're not the body, you're not the brain, consciousness is different from matter, this is all there in bhakti marg. Hmm? But there's something more in bhakti marg. What's the, what, what's the more? Hmm? Well, bhakti marg is path of love. So if you're to love, there has to be another. There's atma and paramatma. Hmm? There's jivatma and paramatma. Hmm. There's Jeev and Bhagwan. Hmm. If you say Jeev and Bhagwan, Atma, Jeevatma and Paramatma are one entirely. If you think that that when you Mukti enter Nirvishes Brahma, Jeev and Brahma become one. If some people think like that, you know, and some people teach like that, Advaita Vedant. If if that if you want that you 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 might attain something like that, but that would be loving to exist because there's nobody else there to love. Nir vishesh. What does nir vishesh mean? Nir. Vishesh. No difference. No quality. No difference. No love. Love is two things. Love is you. Love is I. If I love you and you love me, you and I are we. And we say, we're coming tonight. Krishna Smriti, we're coming tonight. We'll be there on time. We are coming. It's you. It's a you and it's an I. I mean, it's, 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 I don't have a partner, but I got all of you, so I don't have a problem with that. But you and I, we. That union of you and I called we, is a dynamic union. It's not a static union. In that union, two remain hmm? in a dynamic way. They are one. Do you understand? This is bhakti. If in the name of unity, we do away with variety, well, not only is the result questionable, but the path is questionable. Do you, to put it in crude terms, if I think I'll be, the problem is everybody else, I'll just do away with them. <laughs> Not many people would agree with your path. Right? And if you did so, it's questionable how you would, would solve one problem. Hmm? Nobody's bothering me, but who's there to love? Hmm? You see? 
In Gyanmar, we're taught, stop taking. Nothing belongs to you. Now, if you, if, if you stop taking, that's kind of part of giving, right? If you give, you don't take. But is, if we just say, I don't take, we'll say, well, do you give? <laughs> do you understand? Hmm? In Gyanmarg, we stop taking. Hmm? But in Bhakti Marg, we stop taking in the context of giving. Hmm? So, we arrive at a position that includes the relief, if you will, that Mukti, Nirvishesh Brahma, involves, that he would love to exist. But then we find we're existing for loving. And the other, hmm, Krishna means, for example, Karshna, attractive, all attractive. Our rishis have described him in such ways. His complexion is sham, you know, aesthetics, Indian aesthetics, Bharat Muni, hmm, not the Shastra, drama, poetry, all these things, rasa, hmm. Every, every, every color has a corresponding emotion. Hmm? What is the color sham? Color sham is sringar. Sringarasa. Hmm? Romantic love. Krishna is the color of romantic love. His complexion. You understand? <laughs> what are his weapons? The flute. So many gods and goddesses we have, but for different purposes, different functions. Who plays a flute has no nothing to accomplish. Krishna has one thing to accomplish only, to attract Radha's attention. That's why he's playing his flute. Hmm? Why this month, Margashirsha, coming now, this is a poor name tonight? Tonight, tomorrow, depends. So... The end of Kartik, Kartik Mas. Hmm? Why do we say that this is Padma Purana said this is the month of Radhika, Radha? Why do, what is why do we say that is implied in the Gita when Krishna says of months I am Margashirsha, Agrahayana? It is implied that the previous month must be Radha because. Before Krishna, there must be Radha. Hmm? Therefore, we say Radha Krishna, Radha Govinda, Radha Gopinath, Radha Giridhari. Hmm? Radha comes first. Theologically now, that's kind of a pretty way of saying, a cute way of saying, but theologically speaking, Radha comes first. How is that? Because without Radha, Radha is Bhakti Devi, the full face of Bhakti. The full face of Bhakti full face of love. Hmm? Mahabhav Swarupini Radha Thakurani means a full face of love. If Krishna is the perfect object of love, all attractive, the complexion of romantic love, hmm? he's, he's uh, full face of love means Dasya, Sakya, Vatsalya, Madhuja, Sringar, Vatsalya, you know what? Narayan, Shiv, 
These are manifestations of divinity, no doubt. But they, they do not embrace all kinds of love. You cannot love Shiv like a parent, like Yashoda Mai loves Krishna. You cannot do that. <laughs> you cannot love Shiv like a father. Shiv has no father. He has no mother. It would seem. You cannot love Mahadev Shiv as as a sakya, as a friend. You cannot wrestle with him. Hmm? Tell stories with him. It is not the Narayan. Hmm? Om Narayan. You can love like this. In Greek it said agape, reverential love. There is God. He's got four hands. I mean, you can't get too close to somebody that has four arms. You think, oh my God, he's got four arms. It means he's doing everything. Mother has two arms and her daughter's pulling on a sari. Mommy, I want this. And mom says, you think I have four arms? You wait. Be patient. It means I'm not God. I cannot do everything. He has four arms. He can do everything. He's superhuman. If we meet someone who's superhuman, we can love them like this. You, he will be there, I will be here, and there will be worship. Hmm? But if that not I am, has two hands, Krishna, hmm? then we can get close. We can think, maybe he's not God, but I love him anyway. He's very attractive. And he has Lila Madhurya. Leelas, not like Narayan. Very sweet, very charming Leelas. Hmm? And you can love him like a friend, like a lover, even like a child. All expressions of love. Therefore, Krishna's two Bhagavan Swayam. Therefore, we say, aesthetically speaking, from the point of view of aesthetics, hmm? if life is about love, Living to love, not not loving to live. If you you have to stand the point, if life is about loving, living to love, hmm, that life would also be loving. Do you understand? It's already included in there. I asked, which is better, to love to exist or to exist to love? We say, oh, to exist to love, but it's implicit in the idea that if I exist to love, then my existence will be loving. You understand? I will love that kind of existence. If I'm existing only to love, hmm, means I have to have an object that's perfectly lovable. Hmm, and included in that means that my the most loving existence, the one that you will love the most, is one that you're loving within. Hmm? So what is attained in mukti is attained in bhakti. But what is attained in bhakti is not attained in mukti alone. Hmm? And here we speak of Krishna as the full face of divinity. That by whom, giving our seva to, everyone will be nourished. Like the stomach, if we give food there, the whole body will be nourished. We can't give it to the hand or the tongue. I can't stop there. It has to go to the stomach. Hmm? 
before he's depicted, ex experienced by the rishis as the enjoyer. He's depicted as an enjoyer. A Christian man approached one of my monastic students and said, your God is an enjoyer, a gigolo, a playboy. Hmm? And our God is a sacrificer, Christ, sacrificed on the cross. He said, so it's obvious our God is the real God. Hmm? And your God is questionable. So I said, you see, if there is to be a sacrificer, there has to be someone who's receiving the sacrifice. There has to be enjoyer on the other end. Bhuktaram Jakatapasam Savulokal Maheshparam. In the Gita, fifth chapter, he concludes with it. Bhuktaram Yagatapasam. Of all sacrifice, Bhuktaram. I am the Bhukta. You understand? I am the enjoyer. What is the meaning of sacrificing if, if nobody's to get the fruit, the enjoyment? But the nature of the enjoyer of all sacrifice is such that by receiving the sacrifice, that center distributes it everywhere in a way that no other part could. Like the stomach will distribute the food to every part of the body. Hmm? This is the nature of love, you see. Let me give you another example. If I control you physically by locking you in a room, you will know that you are being controlled and you will protest, right? Am I right? All right. What if I control you mentally, psychologically, and I manipulate you and control you? You might not know you're being controlled even, but you're being controlled more comprehensively. Some friend might have to come and say, you've got to get out of there. That guy's just manipulating you. He's, con he's controlling you with his mind and manipulating you psychologically. Do you understand? The control mentally is more comprehensive but less easy to de de detect than the physical control. So we control physically somebody, we could control somebody mentally. These are problems as I'm talking about it, understandably. Now what if I control you by my heart, not by my mind, not by my physical strength, but by my heart, by loving you? Will that be a problem? No. Why? Because if I control you by loving you, you will control me also. Do you understand? That is the nature of love. Hmm? So Krishna is controlling everyone by love, not by any force whatsoever, by affection. Hmm? He's the center. And when love is given to him, it's distributed everywhere. He's giving it back. Krishna means that form of God that has been controlled by love. Love means here Radha, Bhakti Devi. As much as we have Bhakti in our life, we have influence of Radhika in our life. As much as we have that influence in our life, God will have shape. In Nirvishesh Brahma, there's no Bhakti. There's no movement. Brahman is everywhere. How can it move? Hmm? If you're everywhere, can you move? You're already everywhere. Where can you go? Hmm? What is Krishna? Krishna is Brahman moving. What is that? How can that which is everywhere move? The answer is, that is the power of bhakti. 
That is the power of Radha. Hmm? Therefore, the month that precedes Krishna's month, that must be Radha's month, because Radha comes before Krishna. Hmm? If, if we say, God created the world, then someone may say, who is God? We say, Let's, Krishna is God. Krishna created the world. Then someone may say, who created Krishna? It's a silly question, but people ask that. Who created, who created Krishna then? What do we say? Radha. They say, who created Radha? Krishna. Hmm. <laughs> you see? This is Beda Bed. Unity and difference. Beda Bed Vedanta. Bhakti Vedanta. Hmm? Because there is Radha, because there is Bhakti, God has to take a shape to receive that bhakti. Hmm? There's no meaning to bhakti, to love, without an object of love. Hmm? So from the perspective of rasa, rasa, rasananda, hmm? Krishna is the full face of Godhead. Hmm? He accepts all kind of love, hmm? all kind of rasa you can have in relation to Krishna. And that bhakti rasa, according to your bhakti rasa, God makes an appearance. Hmm? And that bhakti is not temporary. Hmm? That bhakti is coming out of pure consciousness. As I said, all that is there in jnana, hmm? that is there in bhakti. It's a wise kind of love. Hmm? So we are students here. I'm a student of bhakti. I have to talk about that. Hmm? I appreciate the invitation to come here. And what I try to do is speak about bhakti in such a way that you could be clear what is not bhakti, hmm? what is virtuous in many respects, but still is not bhakti, jnana, hmm? and how bhakti is not just a sentiment, but jnana is concluded within it. All that the Upanishads speak about, hmm? all these higher ideas, they're all in bhakti. When bhakti take, starts to manifest, express itself, it looks very simple. What is that? We depict it in art, in in music, in in drama, in in, in poetry, the Bhagavat, the Leela of Krishna. Hmm? Don't think that this Leela is like the play of this world. It's not like that. Hmm? This is the play of consciousness. This is consciousness unfettered by material attachment, exploring the depths of its own possibilities. We are a unit of ananda. We have a capacity to, to taste ananda. But in order to love, ananda means love. You exist, you know that you exist, and you exist for loving. Hmm? Such it ananda. If you want to experience the full face of your capacity to love, there has to be another. And that cannot be another thing material. That has to be a consciousness other. This is what it means by Bhagavan. If you could take Satchitanandas and condense it, hmm? what do you mean by the form of Krishna? Hmm? So Leela, Leela, Leela means play. What is play? Divine play we're talking about, divine play. God is omniscient. God knows everything. There's a problem with that. What is the problem with knowing everything? You can't do anything. If you know everything, you cannot do everything, anything. Do you understand? 
You already know everything. You know what's going to happen. It takes the life out of doing anything. If I know everything, I'm just frozen. As Brahman, God knows everything. But there's a problem. Krishna is the solution to the problem of Brahman's omniscience. Krishna means if you if you know everything, then you're bored. We think if I knew everything, everything would have been great, but you'd be bored. <laughs> so what do you do when you're bored? You play. That is Leela. Hmm? You play Bhagwan. Hmm? And nobody plays like Krishna. Hmm? Narayan plays, kind of. She plays, this one plays. They're all manifestations of Krishna. But Krishna the full face of playing. Hmm? Full place of loving. Hmm? And he's lost in that love. Krishna does not know that he's God. In the Brajlila, he's wondering, does Radha love me? That, that question of Krishna's is very extraordinary. Because human life is an existential crisis. And now God is having an existential crisis. Krishna, does Radha love me? This is very interesting theological question. And God is asking it. Hmm? Of course she does. Of course your wife loves you. Of course your husband loves you. But you ask him, do you love me? At least American women do that. <laughs> you never say that you love me. Do you love me? Yes, of course. It goes without saying. I do. <laughs> huh? This is the nature of Shingar Rasa. There's always some doubt. Hmm? But you never let go. Hmm? It's exciting. Hmm? Romantic love. Krishna is the heart of this romantic love. The heart of divinity. The full face of divinity. Hmm? And taking a form that we can actually get close to him. Hmm? And that form is shaped by bhakti. So I'm saying to you, what is the power of bhakti? Not only does bhakti have the power to dispel our attachments, the ignorance of our attachments, but it has the power to put a spell on God hmm? and make that which is everywhere move and play. Hmm? And that playing, in that playing there is more knowing than the knowing of omniscience. There's more knowing. Because the only reason we want to know is that how to do something, how to, how to be happy. Hmm? And the Leela of Krishna, this is, this is, full, this is full Ananda. Hmm? So, as our learned friend, my friend Prashant concluded, it is better to exist to love than to love to exist. I've tried to explain that in a few words. Thank you very much for your kind oral lending oral reception to my my points. Any question? Yes. If Krishna is, like you say, he's the, the Bhoktaram, he's the accepting our offering and accepting our giving, and he's able to fully accept, and we want to become more fully able to give or realize our potential as givers, what, how, does, how, does, what, how does our spiritual practice evoke that fullness of being able to give? how you're saying that Krishna is the full taker. Hmm? To love perfectly, you need two things. 
You need an object of love that can take all the love that you can give. Let's say the object of your love is your country. You love your country. Okay, but it can't take all the love that you can give. And either it will endure forever. The borders are always changing. Right? Who knows? Where I live in California, we have redwoods. They've seen many people claim this is my land over a thousand years. Do you understand? It was called one thing, it's called another thing. Now, you know, the names in India of the cities are changing. Bombay is Mumbai and Madras is what? Kolkata and so forth. <laughs> so the names are changing, but anyway. So, whatever my object of love is, if the object of my love cannot take comprehensively and fully, then it is a less than perfect object of love if I want to love perfectly. In the Gita, Krishna says, As they do bhajan to me, bhajami aham. Jejatamam prapadyante tamsataiva bhajami hum. As they love me, I reciprocate accordingly. He's saying, I am the perfect object of love. Because however anybody, much of anybody loves me, I can reciprocate. This is the meaning of the perfect object of love. Because love is determined on a scale of reciprocal dealings. How much is there? How much you and I feel at one? Hmm? I feel like you. You feel like me. We we change hearts. Hmm? So Krishna says, I can reciprocate completely for any amount of love that's given to me. Hmm? So that we need this to love perfectly. We need a perfect object of love. That is the idea behind Krishna. The second thing we need is to is to give without expectation of return. That's what you're talking about. Hmm? In other words. If I have a perfect object of love, but I give, let's say I have a perfect object of love, so I love Krishna, I say, Krishna, I love you, could you please give me uh, a husband? You're going to think, I could, but gee, is that what you, really, what you want? A husband? I mean, a thing? A, a concept? Love material. I could give you, you know, something better than that. That's not very intelligent, and it's, and it's not giving in the full sense of the term. As much as we attach getting to our giving, we have not realized that, as I said in English, Giving is the getting. So your question is, how do we realize that the giving is the getting? How do we give without, a t without attachment, without expectation of return? How do we give selflessly? Hmm? Well, this can only be accomplished to the extent to which we come out from underneath the identification that we're presently experiencing with matter, which is imposing demands upon us. Our bodies and our mind tell us we need, we've identified with them as our self and they tell us we need certain things. Therefore, we try to take from the environment, right? Because if we don't, our sense of I am whatever, I am this or that is not going to endure. So the only to the extent that we come out from underneath the bodily identification hmm, can we give freely. So in Bhakti Yoga, of course, there's a system for coming out of that. All that is realized in Gyan, as I said, will be realized in Bhakti. But it takes some time. But the practical way in which we do that, of course, is that rather than taking hmm, from the world, from my bodily conception of life, I take from the world, I give to Krishna, 
in the simple ways that I would give to anyone else that I call loving. How do you love your son? You feed him. That's one thing you do, right? You clothe him. Hmm? So in Indian philosophy, in bhakti philosophy, it's very simple. Like in Christianity, they, they say, love God and love your neighbor. Love God with all your heart and love your neighbor like, you're, like, like yourself. There's so little information about how to love God that they end up just loving the neighbor or trying to. Is the idea. But how do you love God? Well, like you love anybody else. That's our teaching. Hmm? So how do you love your son? Like you feed him. So we take the picture of Krishna and we feed him. Hmm? We take the murti of Krishna we buy him clothes. Hmm? It's the beginning, a simple beginning. Uh, you, you think, oh, someone's coming over. I want to make a nice atmosphere. Maybe I'll, I, I'll light some patchouli, some um, sandalwood, something like that. A scent. Oh, we offer the Krishna. It's, it's practical. How you love. You know how you love. So, Krishna, you can love like that. So you take the murti. Hmm? And you, and you do these things, and then you do the same things that you're doing ordinarily. Oh, I have to shop. I have to buy clothes for my children. So, I'm going to buy clothes for my children. I should buy something for my morty also. Hmm? I get it, and I'm a soldier and put, yeah. Give to him. Hmm? And food. I've got to cook for everybody in the family. First, I give to to Krishna. These are ways in which we love. Of course, these days people don't cook. They go, oh, you know, it's a, so, it's a problem. <laughs> Our society is not conducive to this. Hmm? We're driven, because now we have smartphones, we're dumber. Hmm? Uh, this is a problem. <laughs> this is maya, maya shakti. Hmm? So, we think we're getting going faster, and doing, but we're actually just being, having to run faster. You know what the carrot is here, so we're running faster after. Anyway, we, we talked about that. So this is how you do gradually, and gradually in the context of this is why bhakti is very user-friendly. If I told you, go home now, stop thinking, because you should stop your mind, that would be very difficult. If I say, go home, think about Krishna, that's easy to do. Hmm? So bhakti is very easy. Jnana is very difficult. The result is not as good in jnana, and it's not easy. The result in bhakti is better, as we've explained. And the method is easy. You're already doing it. Now you just do for Krishna also. Hmm? But to do this really effectively, so that it's not just a story or some sentiment, we need good guidance. That's why I come. I, I could have come and spoken about like this time of year, Margashirsha, Agrahayana, this is Leela and Bhagwat. Krishna's coming. Gopis are bathing in the Jamuna. Up to their neck. Praying to Katyayani, Badrakali, please give me Krishna as my husband. You know? And Krishna's coming and stealing their clothes. And sitting in the tree. This is Leela. I could have talked about this. You might remember this from your childhood or something. But I want to talk about the philosophical canvas on which this Leela is drawn. You understand? This is not just a story. A deep philosophical implication. What is that Leela? Mm -hmm. What is the meaning of that? Mm -hmm. So I, if I keep coming, then I'll tell the stories, but you'll, all, you'll know the meaning. Then you won't misconstrue the stories for something other than they are. Mm -hmm. 
But if we, if we, if we, with good guidance, if we imbibe that basic Vedanta underlying the bhakti, then we can give to Krishna really with our whole heart. That's the answer to your question. So, anything else? Was the time? So we talked for a good time. So I thank you for your your patience, and uh, I again appreciate the first time I'm, I'm coming here. We have a beautiful um, project that we're developing in uh, in uh, in the Asheville area, the southern county of Asheville, Rutherford County. It's a very um, beautiful area. We have 150 acres there. We're building a spiritual community. Hmm? We're making master plan now where everything will go. We have our vo, our cows, there in a dairy. Hmm? But other plans are being made. You're welcome to come and visit us. We just had a seven, eight-day festival for this time of year with Govardhan, Pujanukut, and so forth. Hmm? Lectures every day, morning, evening, kirtan, prashad. Hmm? So it's very nice, and you're welcome to come there and visit, participate. And that's a great... Uh, very much honored to meet our guests and thank you very much. Sujaganaswami ki jai, Srimad Bhagavad Gita ki jai, Sri Kartikvarta ki jai, Sri Margashisha Masha ki jai, Bhakta Brinda ki jai, Gaut Premanande.